I'm Nancy Showalter, and you're listening to Spirituality for the Politically Incorrect podcast. Welcome, all radical paradigm shifters and creative change makers. You who dare to create a better life and a better world, tap into the power that resides within you and use that power for constructive change. Hello and welcome to the Stress Antidote. I'm very happy to have everyone here today. And we have a very special guest, Dr. Elizabeth Hughes. Dr. Hughes is a board-certified dermatologist, a health coach, an energy medicine practitioner, and a registered yoga teacher. After treating thousands of patients with stress-related illness and having her own life nearly ruined by stress, she vowed to find a better solution to the epidemic of stress than what conventional medicine offers. Dr. Hughes has developed a revolutionary approach, which we're looking forward to hearing about, to stress reduction based on establishing trust in the human body. Dr. Hughes believes that once each person has cultivated a deep and abiding trust in the power of the human body, our experience of health and illness will change for the better forever. Welcome, Dr. Elizabeth Hughes. Well, Nancy, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here today. Well, you are most welcome. We're excited to have you. May I call you Elizabeth? Yes, I want you to. Okay, great. (laughs) So uh, why don't we just begin by having you tell us a little bit about your background and some of the things you went through uh, that brings you to this point. Yes, of course. So I am a completely conventionally trained doctor and really didn't consider what you might consider the outer edges of, of medicine or alternative healing at all until two things sort of came together and happened all at once. And and the first and most obvious is that I saw a patient have a complete remission of a chronic, quote unquote, incurable illness based on a shift in mindset. And it turns out that I facilitated that shift in mindset without realizing what I was doing. But the change was so remarkable that I had to sort of go back and ask, what happened here? Because that was a miracle. And doctors don't like to use the word miracle, but that's what happened. And so that was the the external event. But around the same time in my own life, actually brewing for years beforehand, was my own collection of stress-related illnesses that um, I had chronic pain in a hip. I had chronic fatigue. I had all of the symptoms for chronic fatigue. I fit the, the definition to a T. Uh, I wouldn't go see a doctor about it because you know I, I knew nothing could be done, but I diagnosed myself. I had uh, significant anxiety. I had terrible panic attacks. Uh, and, and I had actually been diagnosed with cancer uh, and had it was a quote unquote easy cancer to cure, but my recovery was much worse than it probably should have been according to the statistics. And I had to look and realize that the shift in mindset that had happened to the patient who had the miraculous cure could be applied to myself too. 
And uh, so I had to go and look at the non-medical parts of healing. And that's when I became a health coach. Uh, I did my yoga teacher training and I got trained in an energy medicine technique that helps to change subconscious beliefs. And that brings me here today. Oh, that's great. Well, you know, it is interesting how sometimes our own, oh, you want to say personal crisis or whatever, you know, really becomes the turning point in our lives. It's really quite amazing when you, you look at that. That's the case for so many people. Absolutely. And, and it is sort of an idea of it, it can be a turning point. There, there, is a, um, there can be a lesson and a blessing. Absolutely. Any, anything. Yes, that's absolutely true. And unfortunately, not everybody does see that. And it can also become a very limiting situation to someone. But we are going to be exploring how it's not going to be a limiting situation, no matter what we do find. Uh, and it's interesting, you turn to yoga. I used to teach yoga a number of years back. And I found it to be, you know, very amazing. It's, I don't want to say science necessarily, but, it, you know, um, practice. I'll go with science. Yeah, don't it is. I'll go with science. It is. Yeah, it is. And, um, and mostly I taught hatha yoga, but basically tuning into those inner components also. You know, hatha yoga is basically a basis for raja yoga, which is meditation. So, yeah, that's great. Well, I know, Elizabeth, that you have talked about a simple mindset shift and a simple exercise that, you know, you can activate your body's repair systems at will. And I, to me, that is so exciting. So we'd love to hear about that. Yeah, absolutely. So after I had done all that training that I talked about, I started working with people one-on-one to look at subconscious beliefs. And after a few years, I realized that the same belief was coming up over and over in pretty much everyone I worked with. And then I started asking all of my regular medicine patients, because I still do practice conventional dermatology part-time, and I found the same belief there. And that is this deep belief that our bodies are somehow going to fail that we cannot rely on ourselves or on our actual physical body to be or maintain our health, to be healthy or maintain our wellness. And that we're all just one minute from some disaster that is going to knock us off course. That makes sense? Well, now that's a very fascinating discovery. Uh, absolutely. And that's interesting that you could, you should find that through so many different, uh, practices that you, you know, you engage in and people that you work with. And, you know, you could, you'd have to think that some of that would come from just our whole concept in society that you grow old and you're meant to get sick and die. Yes. And that, that's exactly, that's exactly part of it. Uh, so uh, what, when you look at the biologic facts of how the body works, you realize that there's that belief that I'm falling apart all the time is completely contradicted by how the body works and repairs itself. And we have repair systems that are constantly renewing us, 
fixing mm-hmm. damage, replacing cells, adding new proteins. I mean, it's like a con- if it was a building, it would never not be under construction. It's always <laughs> being fixed. All right. right. Oh, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so there's, um, but my personal definition of stress and is that sort of discomfort with the idea that we're, our bodies are going to fail us. And that really comes down to that. I don't trust. I don't trust uh, myself. I don't. Mm -hmm. and, And that the mindset shift is to shift and learn to trust yourself. Mm-hmm. And this isn't just a concept that is just in my mind. There's actually medical evidence for that mindset shift of trusting yourself being the basis for good health. Oh, that's interesting. Can you tell us a little more about that? Yeah, so there's there's sort of three different sources or or ways of studying this. And the first is really to just have there and there are psychological studies on this asking people what they think about their health and then following them to see what happens with their health. And I'm just going to share one little study that demonstrates this. There are hundreds more, but I'm going to share one. There was a study done on 300 people uh, done at the University of Pittsburgh and Carnegie Mellon University between the psychology and the infectious disease departments. 300 healthy people were recruited and they were asked to rate their health on a one to five scale. So one met my health is poor and five was my health is excellent. So two was fair, three was good, four was very good, and five was excellent, all right? Then all of these participants, regardless of what they rated their health, were then examined to determine if they were medically ill in any way, and they were all determined to be completely healthy. Then each person was given nose drops full of the flu virus that they had to inhale. (laughs) If anyone's ever had that nasal flu vaccination, that's what they got. So they got a, uh, a nose full of the common cold. So they were directly exposed and then monitored for five days to determine whether or not they developed the common cold, right? Mm-hmm. Well, first off, what's the first thing that's very interesting is you would think if you got a nose full of the common cold virus, you would develop the common cold 100% of the time, right? Not everyone did develop that. So that's just fascinating right there. Right. But the people who rated their health as excellent, as a five out of five on that scale, developed the common cold at half the rate that the people who judged their health to be very good, four out of five on the scale. And then the next group of people were people who judged their health as either good or fair. So they were uh, twos and threes. There weren't enough. There weren't enough people in those categories to make them separate. But they developed the uh, the common cold at about two and a half times the rate that people who rented their health as excellent rated it. 
So that's just, that's one little situation, but it shows that what you think about your health before you're exposed to the common cold makes a difference for whether or not you're going to get it. Yes, right, absolutely. There have been decades of similar studies done dating back to the 70s all over the world that indicate similar results. Well, it it brings to mind the placebo studies also that people who take the placebos versus who take the actual medicine and people who think they're taking the medicine but they're taking a placebo get well. It's very interesting how much we actually control sometimes not knowing that we're controlling it, but how much we do control what happens to our physical bodies. Yeah. And I'm glad you mentioned placebo because that's another line of research that reaffirms this. What goes into making the placebo effect has actually been very carefully studied uh, so that it's been teased out the, um, the contribution of the mindset of the patient, the mindset of the doctor or practitioner, and then the environment in which the study or research is conducted. And all three of those have been looked at as contributing to the positive aspects of the placebo effect. Interesting. That's very interesting. And when you, and, and what's, and and what's really, really interesting is whole studies have been done where nobody got treatment. Now, everybody got a sham treatment uh, in the research, but controlled for the outcome of the patient the, or the attitude of the patient, the attitude of the practitioner and the uh, environment. And it's shown that when the patient and both the patient and the practitioner have positive expectations, that psychology language, which, you know, which I kind of right. translate into trust, that though that is what makes the placebo effect. Mm-hmm. So that if you go right. in and say, we don't know, you know, as a, as a researcher, if the researcher says, I don't know if this is going to work and tells the patient, I don't know if this is going to work. Well, the placebo effect doesn't work as well as, right. as if the positive expectation says, this is a promising new treatment. We're going to try it. And then the placebo effect works, even when nobody's getting medication. So that's the second little form of research that reaffirms this. And, there, and there's a third one too. So uh, I can share that as well. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so the third line of research has to do with relationships and feeling of trust in relationships. And there's an enormous amount of biologic data on how the body responds to that feeling of trust. Now, granted, it's trust in an, with another person involved, but really the individual person is feeling the trust. You don't have to have the trust involved with another person, but that turns off your uh, stress response. It just does. And it activates all sorts of healing mechanisms in your body. It makes your, um, it makes your um, immune system function properly. It increases your cellular repair functions. It does everything you want for health. Right. And you know, that just brings up a lot of things from a little bit of a spiritual perspective. It's 
you know how Einstein said, the question is, do you believe you live in a hostile universe or a friendly universe? And it really does have a, a huge different mindset of whether you're a victim of your circumstances and, and life and all these illnesses and all these things that can happen, or whether you just really believe that you are a co-creator in this world and it's a, it's a friendly universe, a universe that supports you in a, in a broader sense. And, and it also reminds me uh, when you're talking about the mindset of the doctor and the different people that are involved, that reminds me too of, which is a little bit different from what we're talking about, but you know how they, they'll put like the worst students, they'll give this, the, the, the worst class of students to the teacher and say, these are the best uh, above average students that produce better than any whatever. And those students end up doing just that. And it's, it's very, very fascinating because our beliefs make such a difference in our uh, outcomes in our life. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was, uh, I, I think the beginning of the biology of beliefs by Dr. Biology of beliefs yes. by Dr. Bruce Lipton, you know, Bruce describes Lipton. exactly right. that happening in his, yeah. in his own classroom. Yeah. It's amazing. And, but, but there's been many experiments with that over the years since that's come up as, as something to observe and it is, and it's, it's truly amazing. It, and that brings us to parents with children. You know, when you hold that concept for them, that they are, you know, they're amazing little beings, even though sometimes we could question that, uh, <laughs> but that they really can fulfill their, their fullness of who they are and who they're, you know, meant to be. And it makes a difference. And versus telling your kid, you know, you're stupid or you'll never amount to anything, you know, these kinds of things create these beliefs that we have. And society, of course, contributes as we've been talking about it. So, yeah, there's a lot that goes into this. And I've always kind of told some of my clients and people that, which would be a little controversial to some, that really we create our own stress. And I, I put the example that we're from the United States, but we live much of the year in, in Ecuador and South America. And the cultures are quite, quite different in that there, it can be a very stressful culture in the United States, the way we live our lives. And when you come to a country like this, it's just much very, just very different. And I always like to say, well, in the United States, we, we live to work but here they work to live and it's just a much more relaxed environment. And yes, people just love their work. They do their work, but it's not like the end all be all. But what I discovered when we moved here and were here for a while that, you know, we were still working uh, at a distance and all of a sudden you could find yourself like, Oh, I'm pressure. I got to do this. I got to do that. And we realized we could, we're just recreating the same stress from a different society. There's no one putting any stress on us here. And, and so it's true that, that really all kinds of situations, like Viktor Frankl, who was in the you know, yes. concentration camps. I mean, yes. while others didn't survive at all, I mean, he really had a, a huge shift in consciousness to realize that no, you can't control your outer circumstances, but you can control your reaction to them. So it's, right. it's very important, a lot of these things. So 
Yeah. And it's, it's absolutely true about the fact that we recreate it. And I, I feel that that's because after a while, people forget how it feels to really feel healthy, to how it feels to not feel stress. And when I talk with my clients about what would you envision for your health, they, they will be hard for them to even say what they want because it seems too unbelievable, too remote. It can't be. They're not even they're not even comfortable imagining the potential because it seems too unachievable. And that's sad. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. But I think it also goes back to, we really have to get to our core being and understand that we have the power to make decisions. We have the power to change and we have a power to do something different from what we're doing. And I have an experience when I was very, quite young, you know, in my 20s. You know, when you go through that period of trying to find your identity from separate from your parents as a teenager, and, you know, you go into your 20s. And I was talking to a mentor, a mature man, and I was going on about how I didn't want to be like my mother. You know how you, when you're a kid, you say, well, I'm not going to do that when I grow up. And then when you start to grow up, you're doing exactly the same thing. Mm-hmm. And so, <laughs> so I was saying, I don't want to be like my mother. I, my mother was a wonderful woman. Don't get me wrong. I love her dearly. We didn't have any big conflicts at all. We were quite close. But she was a little dominating and such. Anyway, I don't even remember exactly the situation, but I do remember the lesson of the situation. And I'm going on and on. I don't want to be da 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 And he's listening patiently. And when I finally stop, he, he holds out his arm with his palm down. And he says, you don't want to be like your mother? And I said, no. He turned his palm up and he said, then don't be like your mother. And I mean, that was like a huge thing for me. It was like, who's stopping me from being something different? Nobody. Yeah. <laughs> you know, not, not at all. It's just a decision to focus on what you want to be instead of what you don't want to be. And and it it was a big turning point for me, you know, and and a big lesson. And um, I I think we have to understand that we have the power to change. Right. Nobody's stopping us. Right. And that moment when you, you know, this is what I truly believe about health is that that moment that you say, I am going to have a different experience than what, you know, a different experience than what I'm having now, even if it quote unquote seems impossible that's when you actually start getting better. Yes. And, and there have been many stories also of people who they're bedridden ill and for years. And then one day they finally decide, okay, I give it up. I surrender, whatever, you know, and I'm, they just go, they, they go, they accept the reality of what's going on instead of resisting it continually. And then, then they get better. Right. <laughs> and it's this is totally opposite what we're taught. Exactly. We're taught we need to push and work and move against. And so you get used to that resistance, which is, of course, stress. I mean, on a physiologic, how the body works basis, that is stress. Yes. That, that's the way to get better. And it's not. There's there, The body functions, again, on a biologic basis better when you are more relaxed, more trusting in the fact that things can change. That right. And happen. and tuning into your body to let it tell you what you need. 
yes. and, and not pushing against it. I mean, there's no, no, there's no question that as we get older, our bodies do change. There's no question about that. But I have noticed, you know, with uh, people I work with and such that at a certain age or a certain cycle in life, maybe not even a certain age, but there's a point where you have to make a decision. Are you going to go down the road of being an old person who, you know, is going to follow into the old person category of, you know, the rocking chair and all kinds of illnesses and just because that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to get old, decrepit and die. And, and you see this decision mentally being made by people. Mm-hmm. They may have to make this decision. Are you going, am I going to just, and it's not a matter of fighting getting old because we're all going to get old and we're all going to die, you know, but it's a matter of moving in that positive, creative direction. And if something happens in your body or some illness or something, yes, you have to deal with it. But it's not necessarily who you are, and it's not necessarily the end of the world. So many people heal themselves of terminal illnesses, told to go home and die, and then they decide, okay, I'm just going to, you know, go out and enjoy myself and nature and everything, and then they, you know, live for another 10 or 20 years. So (laughs) it, it, it is an amazing thing. So basically, Elizabeth, you're saying, then let's just define the stress antidote. How would you just define that for our listeners? So I have a four-step four process that I use to get that feeling of trust back and solid in your body. And you can kind of think about these same uh, this four steps the way you might build trust with another person. You're just building it with yourself. And so if you're trusting another person or yourself, you're first off, you're going to recognize the strengths that you have. And so knowing how strong the body is, learning a little bit better about how the body works and functions and what it can overcome, just that knowledge is amazingly empowering. The second thing that you do when you're building trust is you respect. You respect yourself, which this is hard, but none (laughs) of that... I call it bad mouthing. It doesn't sound very nice, but you know, oh, I'm old. It's normal for me to feel this way. I can't because then nobody in my family has done it. All of that just got to stop. And it can be hard because you also can't let any of that come in from someone else. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that is tough. I will be honest with that. The third is to communicate. And you so perfectly said, Nancy, about tuning into what your body wants. You've got to learn how to listen to your body and what it needs. It's not that hard and it's not scary. I'm, I'm convinced a lot of people don't want to listen because they're afraid of what their body will say. But, <laughs> well, yes. <laughs> but what you, you know. <laughs> you're abusing me. <laughs> yeah, stop. Uh, yeah. But, but then you, you know, then once you're able to do that, symptoms become less scary. You don't have to have a real sense of panic if you've got a pain. You can say, all right, I know how to listen to what's going on here. I know what that tickle in my throat means or, or whatever the symptom is. So mm-hmm. the communication is the third uh, portion. And the final portion is really to support and work in partnership with your body. 
And that's where you take all of that information that you're learning from your body because you're communicating and find those aligned actions that really support you so that uh, you're finding whatever else it is you need to do. Maybe it is that you need conventional medicine for some things. Maybe it's not. Maybe there's a specific thing that your body needs or as you said, Nancy, go out in nature or, you know, go find your life's purpose or whatever it is, but you're going to find it and you're going to work in a partnership with your body rather than fighting against it and dragging it along. Right. And what's also so interesting is, again, sometimes when we're faced with some kind of bodily limitation or illness or something, it really sparks that uh, desire, or I guess we're kind of forced sometimes, you know, to go within and to say, you know, you, you start to face your mortality. And it's like, okay, you know, you start to, to really ask more, more in-depth questions about your life and, you know, where do you really want to go from here? And so that, that has a good aspect to it. Not that we all want to have to get sick to discover that. <laughs> we can do it without getting ill. But sometimes there's, there's a silver lining in everything. I mean, I always tell people, I have this novel idea. You know, a lot of people say, oh, I hate my job. It's so oppressive and this and that. And, and you know, I really want to be doing something else, but I can't, you know, because of all their circumstances. And, and I say, well, you know, there, there is an alternative. If you can't leave your job, there is an alternative. You can love your job. You can give yourself to your job and love it and be totally into it. And then you watch how circumstances change for you. It's an amazing thing. So, yeah, well, and along those lines, what I've discovered is um, clients that I've worked with through the process that I do, very frequently they find. Yeah, I know you said that you have to go within and sort of get the messages, but by going through this process and sometimes not even paying attention to what your actual physical symptoms are or something, everything sort of falls into place and works out. I've had people Mm -hmm. uh, come and see me for insomnia and anxiety and have that get solved and also get a promotion. Yeah, right. That wouldn't have happened any other way. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> you know, well, you know well, another person who's like, I've got horribly high blood pressure. I need to bring it down. And I repaired my relationship with my mother. And, you know, we're yeah. speaking again. And you're like, uh, we didn't even have to tackle that head on. It just happened. It, you're exactly. Trust. Yeah. It's kind of like the cause and effect. Sometimes you can work with the effect to heal the cause. <laughs> sometimes, <laughs> sometimes you yeah, have I love to, that. You know, you have to heal the cause before the effect appears. So it all kind of depends on our situation, you know, and where we are and how all things uh, work together. <laughs> so very good. Well, thank you so much. Is there any parting message you'd like to say, advice to people about this uh, stress antidote for them? So trust yourself. You are amazing. And whatever it is your body is throwing at you, you can handle it. Very good. Very good. Now I know, Elizabeth, you have a website link, elizabethhughesmd.com, right? Yes. And tell us about the free gift for our listeners. So there's a, a stress antidote guide that's available there. Oh, great. And, and, And that is at your website? 
Is it, is it my website or you can just go to the stressantidote.com? Okay, so great. ElizabethHughesMD.com or the stressantidote.com to get the free, is it a publication? Yeah, it's a, it's a guide that talks about right. my, my process and, and okay. Uh, so you can know it all. <laughs> awesome. And you can contact Elizabeth uh, at her website also, right? Yes, absolutely. I'd love to hear from you. Well, very, very good. And thank you ever so much for being with us today. Uh, it's, I think it's wonderful what you've shared with our audience and very, very beneficial, of course. And I applaud you for your work. Thank you. And it's always wonderful co- to connect. Thank you so much, Nancy, for having me. <laughs> you are most welcome. So everybody, I will see you next week. Until then, keep an open mind, a generous heart, and a powerful spirit. Thank you for being with me today. And if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, download, and comment. I'd love to hear from you, and your support is much appreciated. And don't forget, go to nancyshowalter.com to get your free electronic copy of my book, It's Okay to Be Rich, The Entrepreneur's Guide to Increased Wealth and Personal Mastery, endorsed by T. Harv Ecker. And my free mini course, How to Speak Your Success, The Shocking Truth of How Your Words Impact Achieving Your Goals. I'll see you next week.